0: But Shamima contacted me the last day and said, I don't trust you anymore. And I'm thinking, how the fuck can you say you don't trust me? You joined ISIS. You betrayed our country.
1: Shamima Begum is now more or less a household name in the UK, but I'm aware that outside of here, some of you won't know who she is. She is a British-born woman who left the UK in 2015, aged 15, to join the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, or basically ISIS. And she's been hugely famous over here for some time, or infamous I should say, because she has since started telling news outlets that she wants to come back to the UK. While out there, she married a terrorist and stood by while he and others around her committed atrocities, murdering and torturing for fun. And now she is in a sort of prison village in Syria. In 2019, the British Home Secretary, Sajid Javid, revoked her British citizenship and said she would never be allowed to return to the UK. The Court of Appeal ruled that she could return, And then the Supreme Court of the UK ruled unanimously against her. It's an interesting one because I didn't realise you can revoke someone's citizenship uh, from the place they were born. I mean, I thought that was a basic human right. and, And what does that mean? What nationality are you now? Where's your home? Also, we talk a lot about cults, cult thinking, ideologies and things on this show and how even good or smart people can be fooled by them she was young when she left just 15 years old and maybe she deserves a second chance as an adult that said today's guest is journalist Andrew Drury who developed a friendship with Shamima Begum and some of what he says is pretty chilling and paints her as a remorseless psychopath so it's hard to feel too sorry for her Andrew Drury is an adventure tourist who appeared in Dark Tourist, the Netflix series with journalist David Farrier. We'll talk a bit about that as well as his years-long texting and real-life interactions with Shamima Begum. Get his brilliant book Trip Hazard, a link to which is in the show notes, and give him some love on Twitter. Our guests come on the show for free and give up their time, so show them some lovely love. Keep talking about showing love too much love bombing chat uh, with the cult stuff that has been incepting my mind with the concept of showing love anyway coming up our episodes with dr Shahom das about the watts family murders awful awful things and kezia noble about dating psychology but now you're on the edge of isis terrorism and shamima begum with journalist andrew drury Thank you for coming on the edge with Andrew Gold thing. Um, Andrew, how are you doing? <laughs> thank you to the Andrew Gold thing.
0: <laughs> I'm really good, thank you. Uh, I'm really pleased that you've invited me on. I've checked you out a little bit
1: and you seem to be worth listening to. Oh, thank you. Well, I've checked you out a bit and you seem to be worth listening to as well. Um, the newspaper In the newspapers, it said you're an adventure tourist. What does that mean? Basically, I'm probably a little bit fucked up in the head. Um
0: I think because I spent the last sort of 25, 30 years traveling to war zones, um, the obsession for the dark, macabre, but it has changed. So, Adventure Tourist, I suppose, that's my description for to stop people calling me a weird kind of knob or something. So, I'm an Adventure Tourist. Because if you said you were like a Dark Tourist, they think you're a bit weird. Um, so, I've changed my title to Adventure Tourist to suit me.
1: And you were on Dark Tourist, weren't you, actually, now that you mentioned it with David Farrier?
0: Yeah, I mean, that wasn't my sort of trip. I mean, if I had a choice, i tried to send David to the Donbass, Ukraine. He'd have been better off going there at the time because that was the first kind of conflict over there, but he bottled it. He said, um, he, he said for me his insurers went insured insure trip to the, to the Donbass, but I actually don't believe him. I think he bottled it. So that's why we ended up in Kazakhstan.
1: So it isn't really my, um, it wouldn't have been my trip. Yeah, and that's on um, Netflix and all that, uh, Dark Taurus. For those who haven't seen that, what are you doing in Kazakhstan with him?
0: Um, it's Semipolansk, It's where the Russians were nuclear testing on on kind of locals and humans, and it was the um, effects of nuclear fallout radiation. Um, it had um, kind of mutated humans in jars and people with like two hands and uh, and whatever. Um, so it's
1: that kind of thing. It was dark enough for me, but not particularly what I do. Ah, okay. Well, what, so what, so what typical things would you want to do? Like, what do you, what's your favorite stuff to see?
0: I mean, I spent a bit of time with the Ku Klux Klan. Um, I enjoyed that. Um, I kind of conned myself in there. The reason I enjoyed it too much is because I conned them. I was listening to an Irish radio station, um, one night, as you do. Um, totally born with TV because my, my wife likes Love Island and crap like that. And I heard this guy called Reverend Travis Pierce. He was talking about, you know, his, his stupid thoughts about um, color and race. And I thought I better have a go at this guy. So I emailed him. I searched him on the internet, and I thought I'd have a little look at you. And then I sent him, a and then all of a sudden I got a reply. I thought, Jesus Christ, Ku Klux Klan replying to you? And I asked if I could come and visit him because I profiled myself for being this kind of white activist, and he and he bit. Um, then the Americans shut him down, and we couldn't get hold of him for a long period of time. And then he reopened again and invited me. Um, and we managed to con him for most of the time. But he's one of the only guys that's actually threatened to kill me. He said, if i go back to anywhere near America, he'll hunt me down and murder me.
1: What was that for then? So what were you conning him about? Mm,
0: because... Because I wasn't what he thought I was. I think he should have done his research on me in the first place. I mean, he looked on my Facebook, uh, my internet sites. He would see that kind of a larger percentage of my friends are ethnic. So um, he he was put out by that. He thought I was selling this kind of white power thing. Um, And the son, how it happened is when I went back, he was a weirdo anyway. um, I'm sure he was inbred. Um, We... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he had a strange family. And funny enough, there's a funny story about him. I remember my last part in words, leaving his um, KKK compound, was he asked me a, um, an update on Downton Abbey, which kind of confused me at the time because he was a little bit behind. But then when I got back um, home, the son promised me a load of money to go back out and take part in a hooded ceremony with them, And I kind of like the idea of that. <laughs> so I thought, give it a go. Um, so I rang him up and I said, look, Reverend, I'm coming back. Your mate Andy's coming back. He said, if you come back here, he said, there's a gun waiting for you and I'll kill you. Wow. So not not very reverently, is it? It's not very <laughs> nice from a reverend. <laughs>
1: no, but quite, maybe it is what you'd expect from a clan K- a member. So, so you couldn't go back out there. Do you reckon he'd come on the podcast? What, Travis Pierce? Yeah. <laughs> Could ask him if he, if he, if he means he'll kill me. Why don't I ask him? Yeah. Maybe I won't go through you. <laughs> <laughs> i got my, I got his phone i got his phone number i could ask him because i wouldn't be trying to fool him i would just say hey do you want to come on and i'll ask you about your beliefs and ask him about your mate andrew um i don't know why not why why not i'll ask him for you do you think people will think it's platforming a, a person with dangerous views well i've been doing that with shamima yeah how do you platform yeah you possibly yeah no, i don't think so i think you have to listen
0: to people with strange views you have to you have to understand them. it's all part of me I can't like live in my life like a documentary. I like to get inside other people. That's the only way you find out anything about the world.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a euphemism, Andrew. <laughs> it other is people. <laughs> it is, but I know what you mean. I think we share a lot of uh, we share some passions, don't we? I, I, I know exactly what you mean. We should probably exp- explain who, because because obviously about half the listeners now are not British uh, based, so we should we should explain who Shamima. I mean, who is Shamima Begum?
0: Um, she was a fifteen-year-old Muslim living um, from Bethnal Green, who's decided to up sticks and go become a bride of a, an ISIS fighter. She left around about seven years ago now, and she's ended up at the moment in a camp in Syria. And I've regularly visited her for the last um, year, year and a half until now. She doesn't like me anymore. <laughs> Sounds like a common theme. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't like me. yes, yeah, current theme. I seem to get into the head. What I think what it is, is I I bring them in. And when I find out what they are, then I speak my mind about them. And I I kind of upset some bad people doing that. That's kind of what I've done with her. But hers is more complicated.
1: Oh look, you you could do worse than a a clan member and a suspected terrorist or terrorist sympathizer being angry with you. Why do you think the Shamima Begum thing? What what is different about her case? Again, I'm thinking of people who don't haven't followed this story, don't know who she is. What is different about her that has made her? Because a lot of people fled to go and you know fight for ISIS. Why is she such a big name? Well, I think it was her age.
0: Um, She was only 15, and then they had photographs of her leave in the UK with three other girls. So it wasn't just one left; it was three went together. Um, and their whole journey been all under the age of 16, managing to get themselves out to Syria. I mean, it's difficult because you've got to cross the British border, the Turkish border, and then into Syria. So there were free opportunities to stop her travelling. Um, they all failed, and she ended up getting there at the age of 15. So I think that's what people are confused about. And not only that, she's in a prison camp, and she's not had a trial. So she's there, trialless, um, not charged of anything but being held captive with a, and then having a, her, she, she, obviously they've taken a passport away, identity away from her. She's stateless at this point. Um, so I think that's confused everybody. I think from being 15 to being stateless by the time she's 22, 23. Yeah. Well, whose prison is it? Um, it's held by the Kurds, the SDF, the Syrian defense forces. So she's in Kurdistan um, controlled, Western controlled Syria.
1: What's a prison like that? Is that a prison for all sort of terrorist kinds of people? And it sounds dangerous to me getting them all together. It is dangerous and they fight.
0: Um, and they've um, had, I mean, Shamima herself has had two or three attempts to kill her and they try to burn her tent. She's been threatened by the Terror Twins, two English girls um, out there, are threatened to kill her and anybody else that's following Western ways. Um so the camp is dangerous, but it's all, all women, and it's but it's not like a prison camp. You, it's no bars, apart from the surrounding fence. It's all live in tents. It's like a tented village community, and they've got shops there. They have got clothes shops inside. It's not exactly how you feel, think it would be. Tuck shops. Um, they have a disco at night if they fancy it. It's
1: not the vision you see, is it? Tuck shop is a sweet, a candy shop, I suppose for for non Brits. I don't know if they use the word tuck shop. Maybe they do. But she, I mean, I was
0: filming a documentary that's just about coming out that's, that'll be on in, I think it's in Stars, the Disney Plus channel. So I met her on a day off. Um, we were filming in Raqqa. Um, so I was quite emotionally charged when I went there because Raqqa is horrendous. I mean, ISIS, it was ISIS's capital. And some of the things I saw there were horrendous. Children starving now and, Raqqa had gone and there was the execution centre in the sports. So I was quite emotionally charged with what ISIS had committed and done. So I wanted to go into the camp and rip one into Shamima. Um, but it didn't happen that way the first time um, I met her. What, so what, what were you planning to,
1: to, to say and then how did it go down?
0: Well, I, I wanted to say to her that she'd betrayed her country and I wanted to know why she's got such anti-British feelings. So I was, that was my main aim was just to say what I think. You know, you can't do that. This country's given you a home, education, um, women's rights that you're never going to have. Why would you want to give that up to join ISIS? Um, But that never happened. Um, The day that I met her, firstly, I was nervous, like meeting a celebrity, a bit like you, Andrew, meeting you today. (laughs) That's how I feel, meeting you. There you go. I'll take that one better than you, meeting you. (laughs) Anyway, so I went to meet her. And I was very nervous because she had turned journalists away. She said she wasn't going to talk to anybody and she meant it. So when I went there, I thought, how am I going to get in? How would this con artist get to speak to this woman? I was looking through all my video footage and I thought the good bit was when I was in the orphanage for Dark Tourist, the netfish Doc. I thought, surely that'll play on her heartstrings. She's lost a kid and I'm in a cancer ward. For me, it was one of the... Saddest things I've ever done. And it brings me to tears even thinking about it now because i got a connection with leukemia. Um, so I showed her this video and said, I'm not a normal journalist. I'm just making a film that a kind of documentary about me and what I do. She wasn't emotionally charged, but she realized I wasn't a hardline journalist that was going to try and write a story and destroy her. So at that point, I never had any want to be anything, just a guy that met her. Um And so my opinions of her, so we went for a walk and then I started asking her questions about other than what she did at ISIS because I wanted to probably gain her confidence that wasn't going to rip into her and she did she started talking about a favorite tv show being friends and she started talking about normal kind of girly stuff and and her friends and I thought you know she'd like I think that fat one called Joey who's not fat anymore or is fat, but she liked Chandler because he was geeky. And I thought this is so anti kind of what I thought. You wouldn't have thought she'd been watching friends as a a good Muslim. And and anyway, the conversation went on. It was a shit conversation. It wasn't prepared, but is she thought is the best she had had. She'd taken me to a safe place in the camp, which where she went um, to try and get a bit of sanity back in her life. I mean, the camp's normally about 42 degrees. You can imagine being in a tent on a shit holiday, um, in the Sahara desert in a tent. Cause that's what it'd be like. What's that in Fahrenheit? Um, well, hot. Yeah. Very hot. 107. 107 degrees in, in a tent. Um, but it's not like canvas tent. It's made out of plastic, um, sheeting. So they got, some have got air con, some haven't. So she, she's in a shit place. Um, and as we walked place, we were chatting the normal chat. And I actually started, because I got a daughter her age, I started actually feeling a bit sorry for her. I mean, and a bit of empathy for her. I thought she's 15, she's probably been trafficked out here and she's quite simple. And I saw a simple girl scared. And then as we left, something changed completely for her and for me. Um As I went to leave... And we had our two hours time they give us. And then the guards say, basically, you've got to leave. I said, can I shake your hand? Um, Because she's a Muslim, I'd always ask and be respectful. And she said, can I have a hug? And that, at that point, she put her arms around me and held me tight. And she had the hug, and I, I felt guilty. From the minute she put her arms around me, I felt guilt. Um, I thought I betrayed our country by doing it, because I'd obviously read all the press. But that hug changed her thoughts of me and mine of her um and I never at that point when we leave and ever think to go back and see her again um but I thought the union was okay she'd seen she felt she she needed a bit of pity at that point and maybe she's seen someone that isn't judging her so I left and promised to come back although I never had any intention of going back how things changed I went home um wrote quite a few stories about her. You might have read a few of them, I don't know. In the early days, I was quite supportive of her, thinking she should come home. And I, I did really think she should come home at that point. I thought she was trafficked. I thought some bad people had convinced her, maybe in a mosque, a wrong mosque, or she'd been on the dark web. Something had changed from this simplistic girl that was a good girl, not a naughty girl. All the schools said she was good. But then... Even, even then, I wasn't going to go back. I wrote the story as I saw it and as I thought it at that time. When Good Morning Britain had me on and that's where things changed. They've asked me, would I take them back? Um, and I thought, shit, it's a bloody long way over there. It's hot. I've only just got back. My wife's got the hump because I'm always away filming <laughs> or doing things. Now I've got to convince yeah. her I want to go back with a morning TV show. Um, but it seemed a bit of fun. So I agreed and. I quite like the Good Morning Britain team. They're all right. Um, not like your BBC, lot, like, they don't have me on. Is that Philip and no, what, are they, what are their names? Oh, don't mention Phil. Don't feel, they're, they're in trouble. <laughs> they're, they don't cue. This is Susanna Reid and Richard Madeley. Right. Oh, I, I love Richard Madeley. He's
1: funniest. So funny.
0: Oh, I've become I've come to like him. He's he's Alan Partridge. Yes, um, he is.
1: <laughs> hey, it's Andrew. That's EXPRESSVPN.com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. After going
0: on, they've asked me to go back and uh, I couldn't get a hold of Shamima. Um, so I just said, lied and said, yeah, I can get you to meet her. Why not? She'd met me before. And they said, well, we want a live interview with her. And I said, well, that might be a bit difficult because you're in a war zone and Turkey's not far over. And if you're transmitting signals, from a prison camp, you're kind of saying, "I'm here." um But anyway, I thought, "What the hell? We'll, we'll do it," and we did. So we travelled over and we had our second meeting with a film crew um from from here with Richard Madeley. No, he never come. He won't no. come out. Susanna, they they do things from a safe distance, I should imagine. Although I think Susanna reed which I might be able to tell you a bit later on, I think will travel. I'm not too sure about Richard. Um, But anyway, so I took the team out there. Um, We were going to record a broadcast and we met her. And I can remember the night before we went into the camp, I mean, crossing over to Syria is nerve wracking as it is. You are crossing over into a war zone um, and taking the responsibility of a team and an interview that might never happen. Just don't know, because Shamima might say, no, she might not like my story in the paper.
1: They read all the stories. And you had told them the team at this point they thought that you had spoken to Shamima again or that she had okayed it or not. Yeah, just just waffled a little bit.
0: I was pretty confident it'd pull it off. Um and it was a three trip and they, they they stay in nice hotels, so why not? I was on holiday. Um and so we got over there and I can remember the night before I thought, shit, this is all building up on me now. I promised them something. And I and I could have an embarrassing connection, but I was still confident that me, she, me and Shamima had made this contact at that point. I think she trusted me. She done any more, but she did then. Um So we travelled, and then Shamima, as I got into the camp, she refused to speak. I thought, oh shit! I bought good morning, Britain here, and they told me it's costing <laughs> fifty grand to, oh. to to get this live interview, and I've kind of. Brought them here for no reason. And I found her. She was in shopping with her mates, a girl called Hoda and a couple of German girls. They're also in there. And I managed to re- to convince her again that this was a good thing for her. And I think it was. But she'd have to go live. Um, I- and she's agreed. I mean, I kept them out of the way, um, film crew out of the way and everybody out of the way. And I just sat down and for a couple of hours talking her into it um, with gifts and crap like that. What were her reservations? What was her reservations that they were going to well basically maybe come up with information that, that she didn't know they had because um, we had um Javid was on, and he obviously had those details of her sewing suicide vests um and he had stated that um and also other things he said photographs, so I should imagine she was scared about that and scared what would be asked um. Well, the interview happened the next day and she did it. Um, apart from a diva moment during halfway through where she ran off and had a tantrum. Um, you didn't see that on camera, but we dragged Well, I dragged her back by her arm. I thought, Jesus, I brought them here. <laughs> She's gone. They, um, ITV went to a break. And I thought, I can't have this. You know, I brought you over here, Shamin, When these crew come over seen you, you will finish this interview. And I think she would just been a diva. I think she want, feels that she was a celebrity at that point, and anyway, she sat down, she did the interview, and now I got nominated for BAFTA.
1: <laughs> Congratulations!
0: <laughs> happened? Well, and no, we lost, we lost, <laughs> we lost to um, sit,
1: uh, the City Hall thing, but we got nominated. I'm a, I mean, I'm a builder. How the hell did I get nominated for a BAFTA? Mate, I? W- I would love a nomination for a BAFTA. I never got anything like that. Well, you just got to work. Supposed to spend most of your life on a building site. We um, we sent off my exorcism <laughs> film for to to be considered, I it didn't get nominated. But the winner that year was Rio Ferdinand, that is a soccer football player. Uh, just made a documentary about about it, about yeah. I like um, Rio Ferdinand. Yeah, so I'm glad he got it. No, fair I, I feel
0: sorry for you a little bit. Yeah, you like me <laughs> as well. So, <laughs> what well, well, I do now. But um, so but then during that period of time when I was sh- Shime- with Shamima, a change had happened. I could see that she was a diva. She had no regret. I, the, the whole negativity was flowing through me. Like a little bit the first time, but this time I could see different things into her. Um, freaking out, um, having a little tantrum here and there. Um, and I thought, you're not really what I thought you were. So I was still very nice to her, still come back and sold more stories about her coming back. Um, and went on numerous TV shows talking about how I felt about her but every time I told the story I think she should come back something inside my head was telling me she shouldn't maybe a few of the death threats I got as well might have not felt that (laughs) who's sending you death threats bloody hell ah some nutter from Luton said um said something um said if you come to Luton you'll kill me um just for writing a story about Shamima and well I I think I just sent a message back to him I said I've got no intention to come into Luton and if
1: you want to come near Guildford then Come and kill me if you want. So you go you go, you told him where you are then. <laughs> I would I wouldn't have done that. No, well Guilford's a big place. And I don't think
0: any of these death threats are actually real. Um but so I kind of had change of mind, had reservations, and then another TV lot sky asked me to take them across only about a couple of months. But during my visit with Shamima this time I was a bit slyer. During my visit with Shamima, I was told she could have one telephone call. Um, so I gave her my telephone number and said, call me. Um, I didn't realize they have phones sneaked into their tents. Um, all the girls are hiding these high-tech phones um, and they can get wifi at some stage. And I reckon they either they deal with the guards or, or, or I don't know, whoever, but they got phones. So she was texting me. So I had a whole year of her texting. And during the time there was about a two-month gap before I went with from got back from the GMB and went with Sky. Um, loads of texts asking me to bring clothes, winter was coming. Um, but one text changed my mind completely and it will do and did, and that was the end of my feeling of sympathy for Shamima. I said, because she showed me when I was with um, GMB, she showed me a picture of her three kids that got, that died. You know about that, I'm, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, I va- vaguely. But yeah, I was going to ask you about it as well. She had two kids die.
0: Um, one was about nearly a year. One was about three months. And one died during birth. The first two she showed me pictures of. Um, and I, I was generally quite sad. I mean, these children were dead and kind of children always capture my heart. And I, it was on my mind all the way back from the gym. Bit these picture of these kids that died. One had chocolate, chocolate all over its face and playing like a normal child would, innocent child. And I text her and I said, "Look, I'm really sorry that the picture really made me sad about your two children that passed away, and I can't get it out of my mind." And she said to me, "Don't worry about that. That part of my, I, I'm over that part now. It don't make me sad anymore." And at that point, I go. My brother died of leukemia when I was a boy, and he still lives in my heart now. And I still think about him every day, and he's been gone 35, 40 years. How can you, after less than 12 months, be over the death of your children? You either have got deep psychological problems, or there is something wrong with you internally. And I I couldn't get over that. That destroyed me. You think she might be a psychopath? Well, (laughs) there's something not right, is there? Could you get over the death of your children? No, I don't think so. You can't. and So that one text um, kind of changed my mind. However, the texts were great because I've got a whole year of them. One day I'll I'll probably put them out somewhere. I'd like to make a documentary. I've got loads of archive footage and I need a good filmmaker and I could put it together and you could piece from the beginning of sh- my time with Shamimus right to the end. And
1: I, the BBC are about to do one with a guy called Josh Barker, which will be a load of crap. Yeah, he's he's been on here. Has he? Yeah, Josh Baker. He's, he's, and he might come on again soon as well. I don't know. Do you, do you know him? Is he a friend of yours? <laughs> um, when I was in
0: the third time I went, he thought we were spying on his documentary. Um, he's done a year with Samima. But we weren't. We were doing nothing. We were just making nothing, just selling news stories. But he got a bit suspicious. And he wanted me to go on his doc. And I wanted to be part of it because she's been a year of my life. And I think if you knew the real Shamima story, you have to be with someone who spent a year with her, not someone who's been back there, say, twice. I spent, you know, every two or three months going back there. Um, But, you know, it's like in documentary filmmaking, it's competition, isn't it? When you've got one coming out, people fear you could ruin their doc. Um, So I know Josh. I met Josh. He seems a nice guy. Um, But I I wasn't in Try, and he didn't answer any of his messages. He sent me a message. And I heard another one when he released the Canadian spy story. Um, that's another part, if you want to hear, um, which is a load of nonsense, um, that spy story, in my my opinion. But anyway, so Shamima, and then I've gone back with Sky. Um, and that's when she requested clothes, and I sent her clothes. Um, and during that period of the time, even then I could see more selfishness of her. I interviewed her on my own, sitting on this concrete slab. um, And it was all me, me, me. There was no empathy for anybody else. She was um, concerned about fires and tents with friends um, and concerned about herself. Never about any of the other inmates, just her. Um, And I took um, quite a nice journalist over there. There were quite a, quite a nice bunch Sky but during that period of time our our relationship and friendship had grown closer she texted me when I got back I believe you're the closest person to me um and that was in the world she said you're the closest to me I felt shitty guilty about that you know I'm walking out um coming back from shopping with my wife and I got this ping of this text and said firstly I felt it was deceiving my wife a little bit and said I feel so close to you and I thought I feel guilty to everybody and everything because I actually don't feel close to you. And I couldn't respond saying, yeah, I feel
1: the same because I didn't. Do you think, do you think she was trying to sort of manipulate you at all, um, by being attractive at any point?
0: Yes. She, yeah, yeah. Because she would do herself up completely. So she would use her her attraction because she is quite an attractive girl. She's worked on herself and, um, and she is, she's more, let, let me tell her how that's changed. When I first took a photograph of her, she had a top t-shirt on and a, a, a bra strap was shown between the neck piece and the collar of her, 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 t-shirt. And she's, she got these pictures and she was editing them. She said, you can't take that to show my bra strap. By the time I've been there second and third time, she I was wearing low cut tops with all you could see was her bra straps. So these are the sort of things that I hope the documentary, when it comes out, will show because there's an actual change in her. So she was trying to manipulate me right from the beginning to the end, for sure. There was that, uh, and I was aware of that. The
1: the, the hard part is, I think, because I know, like you're, you feel guilty about hugging her and stuff like that. But I, I always think, like hu- humanities and uh, humanity and humans are, are more complicated, you know. And it's it's not all bad and all good. And so she could be a psychopath, but then also she could be someone who was groomed from a young age. She's out there now. That's going to harden you, whoever you are. She's going to be hardened. She might. If only that be true. She wasn't groomed
0: from a young age. See, this is hopefully if. If Josh's um documentary, she was groomed, her grooming took seven months by a, a girl called Sharmina. Um, not Shamina, Shamina. Um, she was the girl, the oldest girl of there was four girls. One went first, she came later, and she made all the arrangements for the three girls to go. Um, so it wasn't as simplistic as being groomed at a young age. I asked her, were you groomed when she was young? She said no. She was 15. It happened in the same year. She went looking for
1: it. It didn't come looking for her. But that's still quite young, 15, yeah. isn't it? And so what, I agree. What led her to, to look for it then? So, so she wasn't groomed. She went looking for this. And what, what do you think led to that? Listen, you know these women that marry prisoner. This is my
0: analogy of it. Women that marry guys in prison to be a, be a somebody. I think she, from a young age, she was a nobody. She didn't fit in. She was a bit geeky. Um, that's her description, um, didn't have a lot of friends at school, and I think she wanted to be a somebody, and I think this is where she went, she went there, to, I don't think she went there any, I don't think she's evil, I think when she wanted to be some, a somebody, I don't think she was a hobbyist of such, but I think this made her, certainly she loves the celebrityism now, she loves the camera, she says she doesn't, but she does, she loves that camera, um, like her provocativeness has changed. And I think now she's created this persona, and she's going with it. So bit by bit, she's the shy girl. Now she's the open girl, um, and I, I just, I, I just think she's she's just
1: becoming an, an, something she's creating an altered ego that she's creating for herself. Do you have sympathy for, for say, other young women and men, or who, who feel they've been, or boys and girls who feel they've been groomed to go out to, to ISIS? Hundred um, percent. I've met quite a few in my time, um, even with
0: Shabab in Mogadishu and Somalia and places like that. Yeah, there is. Yeah. I mean, they're living in a deprived country. I mean, I can understand it more if you're like living in Africa or you're living in Syria or Turkey or somewhere like that where your life's not great. But when you're living in a Western country where freedom is, is your right, I
1: find it difficult to understand how that grooming process takes place. I suppose it's like cults. I mean, it's not that different from uh, although the, the ramifications are different, but I know what we've done on this podcast, Scientology, Jehovah's witnesses, stuff like that. And people end up believing fully in this thing. And it can even happen to intelligent people who seem to have all right lives. And then their lives are turned upside down. I think that, I think all the people you're, you're describing are missing something, aren't they?
0: Possibly. Yeah. They're missing something in their life. So they need it filled. I think she was missing with not being in anybody. Um, but if you questioned all of them, there'd be something missing because you wouldn't join it otherwise, would you? I don't think you'd be looking for to join any organization, especially a deaf cult such
1: as ISIS was. Did she did she fully understand what it was when she went into it then? I think she's intelligent enough, very intelligent girl, yeah, I do. It's so hard to get my head round that, you know? Well,
0: I can't. That's why I kept on going back. Because she is Enigma. You can't understand how her mind works. And i I've met her loads of times. I mean, she asked me a request for uh, Guantanamo Bay Diaries, which is about a man that was sentenced and went to Guantanamo Bay with no sentence. So she's actually making herself a victim. She enjoys the victim. Um, So I think she manipulates us all. I think she's a little bit more intelligent
1: than we all give her credit for yeah but but she can't have expected this was how it was going to go right i mean she's just sat there in this little village now did she, did she think did she imagine it would be her sort of running around places murdering people
0: i don't think she ever wanted to murder anyone i think she went there to be part of this group and she never that the, ironically there was a girl called hoda an american girl that we interviewed she went there um because she had a shit life at home and she couldn't settle in and she went as a rebellious teen and when she got there she tried to escape Shamima never tried to escape when I first met Shamima she said she loved her husband who was a Dutch guy um, and then second time she loved him third time he abused her so she'd actually created this persona she said he didn't physically abuse her he mentally abused her and so each time a story changes, and it's not the same every time. And this Dutch guy is a fellow terrorist, right? He, Yeah, he committed atrocities, um, for sure. And the atrocities that you commit in Raqqa after being there are horrendous. I've heard some horror stories from people who've witnessed crimes in Raqqa by ISIS. What kinds of things? Um, I worked in a juice bar in Raqqa. That's <laughs> a strange thing to say. There's a juice bar in Paradise Square any but paradise. It's a roundabout and it's not even square, but it's called paradise square. And there's a juice bar because ISIS favorite fav- drink on a day of murdering and killing is a juice. They love a juice. Um, and this guy from the juice bar, I decided I had like a little go of it with him. So I went juicing up with him, making his juice and I'm shit juice maker because I think half of the crew got ill and that's true. But anyway, I made this juice and he was telling me there were spikes around the railings of this roundabout as there is protecting the grass and, and um, flowers on the roundabout and each one of these spikes there was, must have been over a 100 had a head on it with a decapitated head and he said if he didn't look at these heads or he showed any disgust about this these heads he would be he would be tortured killed and he might have his head on there that's what these people in Raqqa are living like i mean i went to a sports center which showed this and he interested we talk about shamima now shamima not a victim of this because we believe that she's one of ours because she's because she's from here which she is the real victims are the people that have gone back to their houses have got mortar shells in there got no hot water no running water in the idp camps there's no air condition there's no shops there's no food shamima has got full food air conditioned shops these people in these idp camps um, which are victims of isis have got nothing what does idp mean um indispersed people indiscriminately dispersed people um so there are these refugee camps and they're starving um children are dying a month after birth um regularly they're living they've got no food they can't survive you know longer than one winter and we worry about shamima we still talk about and for me they're the real victims not shamima
1: there must be people out there going like what the hell was she doing she volunteered to come out here yeah she did but she she was living in luxury, or, or,
0: or, or kind of luxury, in Bagus and in Raqqa, you know, because they they were the, they're in power there. You know, there wasn't any. You know, she wasn't living there in starvation. I mean, they had everything. It was only when she got caught things changed. It's, it's mad. Like, I mean, do we know how her kids died? The three children. Yeah, she told me. Respi- um, they couldn't. She, ironically, she said the two babies that died, the early ones, had better treatment by ISIS. Than the SDF gave them, which is the Syrian Defence Forces. They said she had an oxygen. They couldn't. They could, she could. The both kids were starved of ox. All three of them were starved of oxygen, and the third one died pretty much in birth.
1: And she blames the SDF. Okay. Do you do you believe her entirely? I mean, I feel like she could have just. I don't know. Just maltreated them or something. Well, three kids. <sighs> I, if you want my honest opinion, yeah, I say
0: she's capable. Yeah. I wouldn't have said at the beginning, I do. I would say she's capable. Um, starvation of oxygen is lack of breath. Um Yeah, I think she probably maybe is capable. I think that's a worry. And if I tell you how far we got, my last um, conversation with with her, I came back, and you know our media, you're journalist yourself, aren't you? I'm a builder-turned-journalist, so I'm not a proper one.
1: I'm not a proper one either. <laughs> I'd just sit at home doing all this, but yeah, go on. Well, I sold a story to the Mail
0: about Shamima, my last story, because um, that's what you do. I've not set any money. People say you've got loads of money. I sold a story. I wrote with my, my mate, Richard, and I let him have the money because I've got my own business and he can have it. Although I went over there and did it, but I let him have the story because that's what he does. But the Mail just won't change the story the story was about how Shamima had changed. It wasn't that there's a death sentence that she's scared of, because there is no death sentence there. So it went in the paper. Shamima contacted me the last day and said, I don't trust you anymore. Um, and I'm thinking, how the... F- I go swear there. You can swear. How the fuck can you say you don't trust me? You joined ISIS. <laughs> you betrayed our country. <laughs> you went and maybe so suicide vests on people that kill people. And you tell me you don't trust me because my news story went in to a paper you don't like. She
1: said it wasn't the story, it was the paper. Oh. And that tells you what a diva she's become. I love that. I lo- It happens to me quite a lot with the, the trust thing. Isn't it funny when you end up, like you say, with a clan member and a terrorist and all that, not, not trusting you? And you know what's funny is, you obviously, and people listening who haven't had that experience might just go, okay, well, who cares? But you get a message like that. It really does wind you up. It's hard to ignore that. You're like, the hypocrisy of it. Yeah, it is. And then you go on interview, uh, you talk on interviews and they talk about Shamima and you go, hold on a
0: minute, stop the interview. What about the suffering of the people? In Syria, they're humans. They might not be British humans, but they're
1: humans. But they want to go back and talk about poor Shamima. Well, that's the discussion. So, so. So again, for those you know, outside of Britain, they might not know this. It's been a huge discussion over the last few years, because I suppose it's just one of those philosophical points that everybody's no, nobody agrees, no one's sure what, what the right thing is. Her passport's been taken away from her, and some people say, look, she's a British citizen, we need to get her back here because she's not safe where she is, and she can serve a, her sentence here. And other people say, screw her, she's you know, left us. You know, I, I think I know where you stand on that, for, I, I guess.
0: Well, you probably don't. You probably surmised and no I say, stay there and screw you. You're wrong. <clears throat> I think she should come back here and send her a trial because it's not the SDFs. The Syrian people don't deserve to have Shamima Began having to look after her, control and make her safety. Because all those guards around that fence are lives at risk by either the Turkish or the ISIS. Because ISIS had a prison break um, in the men's prison and people got killed. So, no, I think she should come back here, serve her time in this country. We bred her. We, we we imprison her. She's not she's
1: she's not a Syrian problem. She's our problem. Yeah, I, I actually I actually I, th- I think I agree with that. But some people don't do this. Some people are like, look, screw her. She's out there. That's her choice. She's got like leave her there. That's because they don't think it's like I don't know about these podcasts. People
0: listen into what they want. They want to hear what they want to hear, and they'll pick the bits they don't like and attack you for the bits they don't like. I mean, trolls are brilliant. I love the trolls. I love being abused I love people don't agree with what I'm saying I couldn't give a shit I don't sleep I don't have sleepless nights over what people think of me because I kind of a nice most of my travels I've got a book out you've got to buy it now um called Trip Hazard it's out now um and it's not about Shamima it's about people I've met um around the world who've been who have been struggling it's been about wars. I mean, I was shot at by ISIS, so I don't really like them very much. I come under attack on a front line with them. And it, people like a sniper I spent the day with, I feel sorry for him. and watching his wife. Um, I'll tell you a little story about that because these are the people important, not Shamima. I think it's important um, probably for me to say, look, people say recognize me for Shamima, but they shouldn't. I spent a day and a half with a sniper in a pit who was... About a mile and a half from his, no, 500 meters from his house that had been taken up by ISIS. ISIS had his wife and children and he was looking at his house under a sniper's sight. So he could see the only way he knew if his wife or children were alive, if he could see him through his sniper sight. So he was looking at his, his wife and children might have been abused, raped and killed. And he had to, for two years, looked at his own house through, um, through the site and he's, he survived. I tried to go back and find him. So these are the people we should feel sorry about and target. Shamima certainly not. Yeah,
1: Mike. word. did he? Was he tempted to you know shoot with the sniper to get the people who were keeping his wife? I asked him would he killed his children and he had considered it. What to put them out of their misery?
0: Yeah, I mean if his, if Isis were in his house, they'd have been raping them. Now these are the people that you've you you feel should feel more sorry for. Shouldn't target your care on Shamima. People in Somalia, are class of my good friends in Mogadishu that live every day, not knowing they're going to live the next day. Real problematic places. And and I say that's why Shamima's... And I think the last part of my story of Shamima is actually to close the chapter, to say what I really think. The Sun article, probably think, how was he changed his mind? I never really did. I was just aware that she could read everything. Um And I wrote that story to actually close the chapter between me and Shamima um however um who knows because people say she's already back here what do you mean well there's been some um rumors within social media um i'm trying to find out from the camp because i'm still contacting a girl called galen sue whose uncle was a disgraced fa um fifa official sorry oh right so big story (laughs) um so I'm just going to try and find out how she's sneaked out because there's rumours that um, Cherie
1: Blair has got her out. Oh, t- Tony Blair's ex- ex-wife. ex What does she do then? She's in like, immigration or something? What is, what's her
0: thing? Yeah, I don't know. She's probably involved in same as Tony Blair. I don't know. There. That's what the rumours are. But the rumours could be creditable
1: because I haven't been able to have any contact at the moment. So it's possible she's among us at the moment, presumably in secret being tried. If she's back, she's back. What, just on the street? You can't just have Shamima Begum walking around on the street. She's not tried for anything, is she? She's
0: not. If she was brought back to be tried, we'd all know about it. If you sneak back, you're not,
1: you're, you're given an identity, aren't you? I know, but I don't, I can't see like the Blair. <laughs> I'm not but the rumours are there. Yeah, I understand the rumours. I, I can't see Tony Blair and Sherry Blair sneaking her back because they would be, you know, well, people wouldn't be happy. He's got away with a lot, hasn't he, Tony Blair? Yeah. In his career. <laughs> um,
0: Traveling through Iraq and places. Yeah.
1: That would be a step too, too far though, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah. So, so, yeah. And the, so my last parting with her was not great. And also Hoda's solicitor, an American girl, she caught, uh, this is how, this is how twisted it is. I had a message, a text message from Hoda's solicitor. Um, I had done nothing to her. I, I, I wrote a good story about her. And she goes, Hoda no longer wants any contact with you um, anymore. And I've texted back and gone, Well, I don't want any contact with her, to be <laughs> honest. She's an, she's in an ISIS. She was uh, an ISIS bride. Why on earth are you trying to moralize why, too? You know, your client sold out
1: your country, but you want to make it out that. I'm the problem. Yeah, well again, that's that thing, isn't it? I I had the same thing from that exorcist. I had it from this woman called the crazy baby lady who who screams at people who get abortions and and you know. They they've got they've got to make themselves the sort of moral superior morally superior person so that, you know, she probably wasn't even a solicitor, it was like her through a different email address or something. Probably. Yeah. Sending a message what about shamima's family in the uk what do we hear anything from them yeah we do a mum doesn't
0: want anything to do with her sister certainly don't want anything to do with her because of she's brought shame on the family and the sister's the sister used to speak a little bit but the husband put a stop to it because you imagine if they are in a community and they're known they're going to get so much abuse so they try and stay out of it off of a press um but we have a new one for you soon, a new girl. Yeah. What do you mean? There's a new girl we found in the camp. Um, she'll be the new Shamima at some stage. Um, can't give you a name, but I can describe who she is and what she's done. But she, she, there's a new girl that was introduced to me by Shamima. We interviewed her. Um, she wanted to be interviewed, but, um, she's, she is, um, I think she's got, she's appealing. So under the appeal system, I don't know if I can talk about the the trial or nothing, which I can't, but we have this woman that's blown to pieces. She got blown up. She's got shrapnel in her neck. She's got a baby and she's got a good story. So maybe if, and it will be new to the world, it will be the new Shamima and they're trying to get her home. But she's the one who had the shrapnel in her neck or she was involved in something. Yeah. Shrapnel in her neck and her legs blown. She's got, she walks with a limp. If she doesn't get a story out, she could be dead within a couple of years. That's how ill she is. Wow, because she needs to get back and get medical attention here. So that's another story. And then we got the story about Jack Walker. You Jack? Met, do you know who Jack Walker is? No. He was the one that took bungs for the for the FIFA. What, isn't it Warner? Jack Warner? Jack Warner. Oh, yeah. Uh, or, was it, or was it Walker? Jack Warner. Jack. It's Warner. Yeah, it is Warner. His niece is in there. No way. In the ISIS camp, yeah. And... Shamima Shamina had a last um, tantrum with me because I was interviewing as soon as somebody met Jack war, you know, Jack Warner, I've gone, Oh my God, this is FIFA. She says, well, she declares it's, um, and, and it, it stands up. That's her niece. Wow. That's his niece.
1: Wow. And I was
0: interviewing and Shamima had a tantrum and steamed elf out. Cause I wasn't talking to her. I was talking to this girl.
1: Bloody um, hell that's crazy. we've gone from here to here to here. Sorry. Yeah, no, but it's fascinating. I mean, it's just, it's such a world away from what most of us know. There's so few cameras and things brought in and so few journalists who are able to get that kind of access. So when when I'm speaking to someone who who has had that, it's so rare and I want to know all about it, I suppose. Well, well, it's,
0: it's a bit like that Canadian. I know that, um, that story was released to help this documentary that's coming out. Um, I, I think it, I think it's the real Shamima, my year with Shamima or something. And he's probably a really good journalist. I've got nothing against him. But I think, I think, I think you got, I think the the documentary being made by the BBC, I know how it'll be. I think you have to be truthful. The fact is, this story being released really pissed me off about um, the Canadian um, spy story, her being sneaked in by a spy. She told me she didn't even know who took her in. I mean, you, you know, all the borders. I cross from, um iraq into syria um she crossed in from turkey into syria all them borders have got um i would support um part of the intelligence service would be talking you'd expect them to be wouldn't you would you not expect to be normal that intelligence at them border scene who's crossing or getting information from the border crossing it's a non-story saying that some spy took across it'd be some trafficker over there that arranges for um, transport, that gives information to the intelligence. It's a non-story to promote a documentary. Do you you worry that people will try to present her too much as a victim? Yes, me too. I did. Yeah. I am 100% convinced after more than a year with Shamima Began, she is calculated, really, really calculated. And I think she should be in prison for a long time. For the crime she's committed against our country. She never, even the Manchester bombing, she never really apologized until um, GMB forced her to. When you're asked and say you didn't apologize, she said, I'm really sorry for what I said. It wasn't, she didn't come out of her lips. She didn't say, I'm sorry about all the things I've done. She's always been asked a question when she apologizes. She doesn't apologize, um, you know, unless you ask her the question. I mean, I would have been so devastated
1: for not apologising. The man, she said, it was justified. What did she, she say about? She said the Manchester bombing was justified. Yes, yeah, she did, and that's why, while trying to while while trying to give off the impression she's a victim, well, I suppose at that point it's one of her first ventures. She's, yeah, she's still. If we are to subscribe, and I'm not, I'm not saying I'm on that side at all, but just for devil's advocate, if we are to subscribe to the idea that she was, uh, you know. Uh, brainwashed or whatever it might be then that's still the early days and you know all the other things i suppose you could again it's devil's advocate here but all the other things you know i noticed she wasn't that bothered about ukraine and what's going on in ukraine she told me that yeah i know i read that that you that <laughs> she told you that yeah no I text her i said to her
0: how are you feeling she said i think the eyes of the media are against me now uh, are off of me now now ukraine's happened like ukraine stepped in away." way That was another big signal point to me.
1: But you know what? If you stuck me, and it is different. If you stuck me in the middle of a desert where there's like burning, they're burning your houses and stuff in a little village like that, and I couldn't get back to it like anywhere. And you told me, oh, Ukraine's. I'd go. I don't give a shit because I would be like so scared, and I'd be going, "Get me out of here." Yeah, no, get all that. But you would? Would you say it? (laughs) Well, no. But you'd think she'd be smarter than that. That's the weird thing. If she's a psychopath you think she'd be smart enough not to text you things like... No, that's because she trusted me. Yeah. She's given me the true feelings because she's let her barriers down.
0: That's why if you were to make a documentary, you've got to go with somebody that's honest because she'd manipulate you. If um, Josh's um, documentary is BBC-based and the bias is towards her, which I'm sure it'll be, he's got to be honest enough to show his true feelings. I got her to drop her guard and it was calculated, I gained her trust. I gained her trust to find out what she is. And I found out what she is, in my eyes, she's calculated, she's clever, and she uses the journalists. She's clever with the journalists, she isn't stupid. And if Joss is fooled, or he was bemused by her her beauty or her look, and he wants to be her friend, and he's kind of got that celebrity, um, Google
1: eyes towards her, then his documentary will be false. I'm sure Josh will be, because I got the impression he's smart enough, he'll get both sides and he'll see some of the subtleties and stuff. So we've got two, three minutes left. I want to hear, I mean, where do you want to send people? What do you want to tell people about? Well, the documentary is about um, war tourism, because there's people going on holiday um,
0: to see war zones. There's companies that actually provide it called War Zone Tours, so you can ring them up and say, I want to go to a war zone. And... That's what this film is is in trying to work out why people like me do what i do um it's I think it's gonna be a bit like um was that tiger King oh I think it's <laughs> I think it's gonna be a bit like that trying to work out if we're mentally deranged or not <laughs> um yeah. so i don't, I, don't, I don't particularly know where where it'll go to um and my book is a bit of that my book is my story. From the beginning being just a builder a successful builder that's failed a load of times come from a council house um struggled, shouldn't be where i am now through to the fact of being bafta nominated through just sheer will and the need to experience things in life um you know you do what you do because you're interested in hearing people's stories it's the same as me i couldn't i just until my legs won't work i'll still be doing this um and I love documentaries. I love making documentaries. I love being part of that
1: whole lot. Yeah, it is. It is a magical process, isn't it? And where, can people just get the book in sort of normal, you know, Amazon and all that?
0: You, you no, know, yeah. Well, there's um, at the moment it's in the, um, with a publisher called Candy Jar. If you look up Candy Jar and look for um, Trip Hazard Andrew Drew, Trip Hazard, you'll find it, and it is a shit hot read. <laughs> I um, bet it is because it's from a. It's not from a, an Oxbridge journalist. It's from a bloke from a council estate that's gone around the world and gone where people would like to go telling the truth you know i'm not talking like a clever journalist it's coming from my head and my heart i don't think about what i say it just
1: comes out (laughs) i think it sounds like a wonderful quite wonderful but i hope people do get hold of it and and thank you andrew for being on the edge it was amazing thank you the hour
0: goes quickly andrew thank you inviting me top guy
1: Thank you so much, Andrew Drury, for coming on the show. Please do get hold of his book, Trip Hazard, which tells the story of how a working class boy turned successful businessman has become the world's most prolific extreme location adventurer. We didn't even get to talk about half of that with Andrew or, or much of it at all with Andrew today as we were all about Shamima, but that's a fascinating insight into his life. A link is in the show notes. Do keep signing up on patreon.com slash andrewgold to support the show and please remember view on Apple as it makes a big difference. That's all for now. I'll see you soon when my guests will be Shaham Das about the Watts family murders and Kezia Noble on dating psychology.